This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Hey there, this is Justin from Worst in the Industry. We have a lot of laughs on our show, and we get into some pretty heated topics, so it's important to remember that the views expressed by the hosts of Worst in the Industry are their own, and are in no way representations of the views held by the Planet Ant Podcast Network, or Planet Ant as an organization. Yell at us, not them. Thanks, and enjoy the show. I got a joke for you guys. Oh no, no! <laughs> I heard it. I heard it today at the shower uh, from my soon-to-be father-in-law. Uh, you heard it in the shower? No, at my sister's wedding shower. Okay, well, you need to specify because if you say at the shower and you heard it from your well, soon-to-be I... father-in-law, <laughs> no, I, I sent a message in chat that said I have my sister's wedding shower. But regardless, oh, anyway, mm, I never got it. Anyway, so, mom and a kid are driving in the car, right? Kid's six, mom's driving. Semi-truck in front of him. Back opens up, dildo comes flying out, right? Hits the windshield. She's like, oh shit, my kid just saw that. What am I going to say when he asks what that was? Kid's like, mom, what was that? She was like, uh, it was a bug. The kid was like, do you see the size of the dick on that bug? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's such a fucking good one. I like that. She, you know what? That really, it's really gonna liven up the episode. <laughs> just, just to do it. We gotta make sure to pop that one in the middle. Just, you know. Yeah, I will go ahead and introduce us. Uh, hello, hi, and hey there. Welcome back once again to another episode of Worst in the Industry, the podcast where, uh, this, uh, pod of squid-like, uh, amphibious, uh, socialist aliens, uh, attempts to crawl from the depths of the ocean and bring our strange interdimensional truths to your ears. Uh, my name's Justin St. Peter, and, uh, I wish there was whiskey in this Coca-Cola. To my left is the direction I've been going with lately. He's really swished up, but it's still Colin Stanley, the ambidextrously illiterate, uh, sponsored by Smirnoff Pink Lemonade. Smirnoff Pink Lemonade goes down easy because it's mostly glycerin. Smirnoff Lemonade. For legal purposes, to my left. we are not sponsored by Smirnoff. No, we're not, but I want to be. To my left. Uh, my name's Tyler. <laughs> And, uh, I am totally not a reptilian man. Just he blinks sideways, but I, you yeah. can't, you can't hear that. Yeah, my, my eyes, my eyes are like the, you know, sideways. They're like 90 degrees. You know, if I was going to be some kind of alien, I definitely would want to be like more cephalopodic than anything else. Right? That'd be sweet. Got all them limbs. Have a decentralized nervous system. Exactly. I don't need all my brain to be up here. That's too much brain in one place. Spread it out. Justin, do you remember when I showed, I sent the, I was very high, and I sent you a link of, um, like, this professional chef who, like, broke down, like, a few dozen ways of, like, this is how you, like, you know, break down every shellfish. And I was like, man, aliens are gonna get here, they're gonna be so pissed, but we're gonna know how to deal with them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that particularly, probably because I was also probably pretty stoned. Uh, we talked about sucking out Zoidberg's brain. I, you know what, Zoidberg, I would 100% eat his brain. Dude, yeah, I, I would 100% like a fucking eat crawfish. I love watching videos on people showing how to, like, uh, you know, like, break apart a crab. Because they're like, alright, so then you just split it down the middle, scoop out the poison, don't eat it. 
No, the poison's a good part. You gotta get all that crab mustard. That's not poison. That's, yeah, that's where the flavor is. Yeah, that's where the flavor is, everybody. Eat the, Don't, eat why the crab mustard. Why do they mustard. call it mustard? Because it looks kind of mustardy. It does kind of look like mustard. It does not taste like mustard. No, but it looks like it. Mm. Is, I mean, there, there's not a whole lot else that like looks like mustard. You know what also doesn't look and taste like mustard? Apartheid. So... <laughs> what a segue. This is, uh... <laughs> This is part two of uh, Strauss Group. <laughs> yeah, I'm rolling in. This is part two of Strauss Group Limited. Uh, last episode we left off, uh, we'd mentioned how in 1969, um, Strauss Group Limited had formed a partnership uh, with Danon, um, who we later discovered was also a bad yogurt group. Because <laughs> um, apparently no yogurt is pure. Which does preclude that, uh, we, we touched on it, uh, and I said the wrong name, uh, the Six Day War. Not the Seven Days War, the Six Day War. So the Six Day War, uh, which happened in 1967, um, basically what had happened was, uh, Israel seized, uh, the Gaza Strip and the Sinai Peninsula from Egypt. Uh, they seized the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, from Jordan, and they seized the Golan Heights from Syria. So they basically took these places that uh, Palestinians and other ethnic groups uh, and other Arabs had been living, and they went, mine. They just, just, yoink, snatched them up. Oh, you mean like a colonialist power, or uh... Yeah, like a colonialist power, because, and you know, we we talked a little bit about it uh, last episode, and by a little, I mean, it was the point of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about how um, Israel kind of exists as this uh imperial proxy for a lot of western power uh and they definitely show that obviously they show that all through the zionist movement the zionist agenda that we talked about uh but they also definitely show Do it you want to clarify zionism again this episode real quick yeah so that's i'm glad you brought it up i was about to get there so uh i will be there in just a second uh <laughs> all right listen so, up uh, patriots these globalist zionists jesus shut the fuck up all right shut the fuck up we're cutting it out listen up patriots being a patriot is part of the problem <laughs> let me tell you what listen it's here patriots we are fighting the literal christian devil Oh, uh, boy, Hillary Clinton, the literal Christian The devil. literal uh, Christian so, she's, uh, She has little green skin. <laughs> she has green skin, and she likes running around saying, I want to eat children. Yeah, have you seen the Frazzle Drip video? I'm sure you have. I have. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, basically, in 1967, uh, the state of Israel at the time uh, uh, has does this land grab. And I'm only saying this because it should have been mentioned last episode. So we're just going to, at the beginning of this one, reinforce what we said in the earlier one. Um... And this is obviously part of the Zionist agenda, which we talked about how when the Peel Commission from uh, the British Empire had come through and stated that their proposed solution was a two-state solution, that a lot of Zionists got really excited about that, um, that one of the, the, the main, if, uh, if not the main, uh, British, or sorry, uh, uh, Jewish leaders at the time, Zionist leaders at the time, um, had stated that this was the first step um, and gaining the whole of the land, because that is that is at the root of the Zionist movement, is gaining all of the Levant and not sharing it with the people that still live there and have lived there for a long time, even though bad things happen to you. And that leads into, again, our reiteration of what Zionism is. And how sad I am that I have to say this, um, because... You know, Israel is really unique because they are um, an ethno state. They're they're they are a state that is founded, um, and the basis of citizenship is based on your ethnic heritage, and your your you know your your genetic line, um, where what rights you're allowed to have and whether or not you're allowed to live there is based on who your parents were and who their parents were and who their parents were. So it's it's very apt to call it an ethno state. Um, and the Zionist agenda is, is one, it's an ideological position that's basically used to both inculcate an identity amongst a people that should be showing solidarity with people who are experiencing things that they have historically. So it's, it's meant to separate the plight of Jews from the plight of any other oppressed group uh, mentally. It's like a psychological trick, which I'm going to say right now. This is not the trope about Jews having mind control powers, because uh, apparently 
that's a thing I have to say because Ilhan Omar, like a year or two ago, had said something like, Israel has like hypnotized the world. And back in the early 1900s, a stereotype was that Jews are wizards, apparently. And they're and also that they can, fuck your wife. They, they got fucking telepathy. They, they got fucking Xavier's school for talented children. And they're like, fucking just apparently. I don't think that's happening. I don't think that's real. But this is the disclaimer that we're not, this isn't tropes. We're not buying into a stereotype. But the state of Israel's propaganda wing and APAC and other Zionist groups intentionally obfuscate the separation between the Jewish people, the state of Israel, and Zionists. The state of Israel and Zionists are inextricably linked because the state of Israel is a Zionist project run by Zionists for Zionists, and Jewish people are Jewish people. Period. <laughs> and if they're involved in that those things... We judge them based on their involvement and not by the fact that they're Jewish. And if they're not involved in those things, they can still be assholes or wrong. Just not support it. Like, you should judge somebody based on what they actually think, feel, and do versus the religion or the ethnicity that their parents are. Um... So that's that's our upfront we're not anti Semites disclaimer because we need it. Because apparently we need it. <laughs> yeah. It's very frustrating. Um, Israel um, Israel reminds me like they draw a lot of parallels to uh World War Two Japan in the way that they think they are you know they they deserve to take over other lands because they are they they're gonna be better, I don't know. It's, like so when, it's, when Japan really wanted to take over China real bad? I don't think that is as apt a comparison. So I do agree that, like, definitely that's, that feeling, that, like, psychological condition yeah. is very similar. But I think it was, big... you know, uh, uh, implemented differently. Oh, but... oh def and that's not, not even necessarily what I'm talking about, because I feel like when we're going to get into this, like, there's very little that's off the table uh, for the state of Israel, as we're going to see. Um somebody's been listening to supernova in the east i see it's great the last episode i've been came listening out. to it too my god dan, Very, dan i love carlin, it i love supernova in the east dan carlin is a true king <laughs> god i want to be him so bad i really can't say Genghis khan but i will <laughs> i love dan carlin i won't say it I but i do love dan do carlin. love dan carlin part of this uh anti-semite we're not anti-semites disclaimer is that the reason that so many people are accused of anti-Semitism and bigotry when they criticize Israel and what Israel does and what Zionists believe and what Zionists do in the Zionist agenda, the Zionist movement, because it is, it's an ideological movement, that is purposeful. That has been intentionally done. There's been a lot of fucking money and effort and man hours put into the rhetorical project of tying the state of Israel zionism and jewish identity together so that they are so blended that you cannot tell the difference and i'm glad we're recording this episode now because recently there was um there was a, a news interview with um internet leftist ryan Grimm, where he literally talks about how fucking ironic it is that the you know the united states is going to accuse somebody of being anti-semitic when we literally threw po operation paperclip brought a bunch of Nazis over to, uh, you know, beat the, uh, the, uh, the Soviets during the Cold War. How we, you know, assisted in the rat lines, sending literal Nazis into Argentina and other South American countries. How we paid Nazis to join right-wing fascist death squads all throughout South America, all throughout Southeast Asia, to kill people, to murder people, to continue the nazi ideology of extermination of lesser races meanwhile the whole time supporting israel which we're about to get into and calling people anti-semitic for uh criticizing what israel does it's pretty fucking ironic indeed let's get the jokes in now get the jokes in now boys quick this this is what? this is the joke alarm everybody get your jokes in i, I don't know man i'm just kind of it, it, at this point in the show it, it feels like uh 
you ever seen a Helsinger Bridged on YouTube? Big fan. Yeah, it's the the part where he it's, he just goes, oh great, it's fucking Nazis. Yeah, it's turns out there's more Nazis in Israel than you would have thought. <laughs> turns out. So, uh, 1967 Six Day War, Israel uh, enacts this massive land grab. Um, now, previous to that, uh, the PLO had formed. The PLO, who would make a lot of news uh, in the coming 60s and 70s, um, uh, that stands for the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Um, and they are similar, they are kind of a, a spiritual successor almost to the Black Hand that we talked about last episode, and similar in some regards to like modern-day Hamas. Um in that they are a militant, pro-Palestine, pro-Arab um, movement. However, there's obviously a lot of differences when it comes to like the religious versus secular views and all that fun stuff. So we're not going to get into a ton of that. We just want to mention the PLO exists. Uh, much like InfroWars, do your own research. <laughs> um, if you want to look into the PLO, there's some really interesting stuff that happens with them. We're not going to get into a ton of it. We're just going to touch on... Uh, a few of the headline grabbers, um, but they are definitely, definitely an interesting, uh, an interesting little snippet of, of, uh, you know, human history. And you want to look at um, the sixties and seventies. A lot of people saw these period as a turning point. I really disagree. I think they were more of a, they were like the first drop of dirt on the coffin of the human race. I felt like, it's when people really realize, like, oh, we're fucked. We're actually fucked forever now. It's too late. But that's just me. So you don't have to think that way. You can be hopeful if you want to be wrong. Let's let's just get something straight, everybody. The deck's been stacked from the beginning. <laughs> the deck's been stacked. Hey, you know what? We had a shot about 1,500 years ago, and we blew it. Yeah. And you're fucked now. And because of it... If you have kids, they're going to boil to death. Yeah, you're fucking so throwing dice luck. behind the corner store with these guys, and they got a three, a, one dice with all threes, and one dice with all fours on it every fucking time. Um, actually, Tyler, the singular of dice is referred hey, to I'm... as die. Alright, you grab one side of his underwear, I'll grab we the other. What we will all we do one day. At the same time. Yeah, no, let's get the high-low out. Let's get the high-low out. <laughs> let's get the worst in the industry high-low out. The wedgie high-low. All right, so so the the result of the uh, the Six Day War uh, was, I believe it's called the Khartoum Declaration, um, which was this uh, similar to uh, the declaration that was put out by the British Empire, which formed the Mandate of Palestine. This was uh, so, uh, uh, basically a statement that was put out by the Arab League, which, uh, as we spoke about last episode, was uh, is an organization that stretched from Morocco to Oman, so basically all of the Middle East and Northern Africa, um, parts of Eastern and Western Africa, obviously, um, Egypt, you know, Lebanon, all these all these different countries, um, anywhere where people basically uh, have an, an ethnic Arab majority or a Muslim majority are typically the countries, including the Arab League. They put out this statement um, that involved what's commonly referred to as the three no's, and these refer to uh, no peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel as a state, and no, no negotiations with Israel. So Israel doesn't exist to us. We will not stop fighting Israel. And we will not even talk about Israel. Okay, okay. This is, uh, you know, this is both in solidarity with the Palestinian refugees, which is the good angle, right? If you want to look at this from like an altruistic perspective, sure, that's why they're doing it. It's also because they're not a fan of Western influence in the region. And Israel is basically just a big spawn point, if we're going to use video game terms, for, like, Western powers. They're a great... They're, they're you know, the watchtower. They're, Israel is to the Middle East as Hadrian's Wall was to Roman-era uh, British Isles. It is... It is the mark of civilization. Beyond it are, are the barbarous savages that are tearing each other apart and would love nothing more than to kill us and rape us and take everything. Um, that, is, that is the ideological equivalent. Now, the, the PLO, is a, is a, uh, the Palestinian Liberation, Liberation Organization, is a very militant group, and they're going to 
enact a lot of violence. We don't endorse any of the violence that they act out. Uh, similar to episode one, we don't think that anybody should be killing anybody ever. But there is definitely a degree of understanding when you grew up under the boot heel of an oppressive state that you would react violently. Again, we don't endorse it, but we do understand on an ideological basis why. Similarly to a lot of Jews who end up becoming Zionists, we understand when you are a people that is historically oppressed and beaten down by every motherfucker you meet, yeah, you're going to get a little, mil little, little militant. You're going to get a little aggressive. It's understandable. We, we get it. We understand why we got here. We're not judging what, how and why we got here. Now we're just judging actions. And based on actions alone, the state of Israel, with the funding and resources it has, are in the wrong. So after um, the Six-Day War, this, this big land grab, the PLO starts kind of kicking things into high gear and other militant Arab nationalist groups and, and Muslim nationalist groups and even far left uh, pro-Palestine groups start to really um, really kind of lash back out and try to find where the pressure points are. You know, Israel is at this point a pretty well-established state. Uh, it has been for almost uh, 20 years at this point, uh, just over 20 years, and they get a lot of money and they get a lot of weapons from you know the usual suspects america uk yeah and keep in mind this is also the point where a lot of you're, you're getting like the first generation of like quote-unquote born israeli national yeah they're they're people who like uh that's and i'm glad you brought that up because michael strauss right michael strauss who is the the who, he was two years old when his parents fled the holocaust uh, and brought him to israel um he for all intents and purposes is more Israeli than German, even though his parents were born and raised in Germany. Even though he was born in Germany, he is more Israeli than Germany, or more Israeli than German, just because that is the country he identifies with. That is the country that he does business in. That's the country that his family has built a life in. That's all he's really ever known. Um, so, yes, I, exactly, Justin. There, this is the first generation of, like, dyed-in-the-wool Israeli nationalists who not only have that same kind of uh, zealotry that you'll see amongst a lot of Zionists, but also the national identity to fuel it and the connection to an actual government to fuel it. Um, so in 1972, um, we had a Summer Olympic Games in Munich, and as uh, essentially retaliation for the Six-Day War, um, the PLO would murder a bunch of Israeli Olympic athletes. They, they fucking killed a bunch of them. It's, uh, it is an international tragedy. It's something that's talked about a lot in, um, like global history classes as like this big, like this really kicked off the seventies and like the tone of what the seventies were going to be on an international stage. You talk a lot about, you know, Vietnam, and getting towards the end of Vietnam, but this is what was happening outside of that. Yeah, um, not really, uh, not really a good look to kill people that have nothing to do with the issue that you have. It, but that's the thing, though, is right, is that up until this point, Palestinians and Arabs have been fighting Israel on its terms, essentially. Like they've when it when it was when it was just Zionist settlers like when there was still the mandate of Palestine they were they were like bombing like british convoys and they were shooting at policemen that were either british or instated by the the british at this point they've they've fought and lost a series of actual conflicts there's been an enormous ethnic cleansing and the entire world is essentially backing uh israel um, I mean, there's there's a point where there's like a weird diplomatic standoff between Israel and the United States because of their nuclear program. But um, when you actually look into like what the CIA and all them thought about it, it's not really that big of a deal for us. It's why we didn't have a missile crisis with them like we did with Cuba, for instance. Um, 
but yeah, so uh, you know, it, it's it's not okay to kill a bunch of athletes. But at a certain point, when conventional methods aren't working, what do you do? You start trying to kill symbols, because you're trying to get attention. Like that's that's literally all it seems like is happening here. Is a they're angry and they want they want sucker, and two, what else are they gonna do? Are you gonna take on the IDF? No. They have way more guns. They have way more uh, vehicles. They have way more resources based on their Western allies alone. You can't just fucking fight the IDF. This is when you start to see um, the asymmetrical warfare fair that will turn the Middle East into a constantly shifting hellhole for the rest of the, the, the century and into our own. Like, this is the beginning of it. And so... In response, um, the IDF and Israeli forces kill a bunch of uh, Palestinians. They kill a bunch of PLO, like uh, safe houses. Like they, they, they kill a bunch of people, basically. And we're not going to touch on this aspect of it too much more. Basically, all you need to know at this point is that they were going to have continually escalating retali uh, retaliations from both the state of Israel and various um, anti-Israel uh, militant groups for various reasons from various ideologies there uh, some of them are connected some of them are not it's a lot to get into we're not gonna we're not gonna touch on any much uh, much more of it but suffice to say it's a lot of shit <laughs> it's a lot of shit going on and if you want to dig in more than welcome it's a lot of stuff happening so we're not, we're not going to dig too deep into it again because that would be another like two episodes on its own. It's just talking about all the individual times that these these uh, militias and militant groups did X, Y, and Z and where the IDF did X, Y, and Z. It's just not in the Mossad and you talk about Israeli intelligence, you talk about the CIA. I'm going to be talking about it in my oil series. I in, Literally in researching this, I was just like, oh, it's all about oil. <laughs> just screaming. Just screaming by myself in my room, just screaming. Um, so yeah, that's it's, it's we're gonna move on. Right now, Colin. Right now, it's all about hummus. Well, dairy farm still, I think. So in 1973, <laughs> actually, it's still about oil. God so um, this is when <laughs> the uh, Yom Kippur War kicks off, and those groups that we mentioned earlier, uh, Jordan, Egypt, um, and Syria, attempt to reclaim the land that was uh, occupied by Israel during the Six-Day War. Uh, Israel effectively fends them off, takes very, very few casualties. Um, and it's also the year that the Arab, uh, Arab oil embargo begins, um, which is directly tied to Israel and its uh, continued occupation of those uh, pieces of territory. Now, I'm not going to get into that, because I'm going to get into that in the oil series, but just to say, the Arab League has been boycotting... Um, Israel the land and the land that would become the state of Israel since its inception and this is just the climax of it this is the time where they really start to hurt not just Israel but the global community when they talk about the oil crisis in America it's because we were supporting Israel that's why it happened it also, I mean, there's also economic factors and economic leverage. We talk about those kinds of things. Then you talk about the the countries that would eventually lift their boycotts. That's a whole other thing. But a big part of why it happened, a big part of why there was a huge gas shortage, is because we wouldn't stop giving Israel money to kill people. <laughs> yeah. I, I just find it funny, like, talking about the gas shortage, that in the 70s, when they were like, hey, there's going to be a gas shortage, everyone was like, all right, you know, or mostly everybody was like, okay, well, you know, it happens. And literally, what, a month ago? Oh, there we was, had dipshits pouring ba uh, gasoline into paper and plastic bags. And there, there was potentially a small gas shortage in a very, you know, regionalized area, and people are literally filling gasoline into garbage bags do you do you guys want to hear a joke about it or do you want to hear my leftist analysis uh, let's get a joke uh <laughs> man 
Americans, I thought they were filled with enough gas as it was. Hey, uh, uh, I've been, been letting off uh, hot air like a loose balloon today. The leftist analysis is that we've been so infantilized by constantly getting everything that we want all the time that the second there's even a, a, a moment, a thought, that you might not be able to get your goody good boy treats all the time, uh, that you freak out and throw a fit and go to the marathon and fill your fucking Ford F-150's truck bed full of gasoline and then drive it on the freeway while you're smoking pall malls, you fucking dipshit. And, and anyway, those people at the same time are telling me that a vaccine isn't safe. They're telling you that a vaccine isn't safe. They're not even saying that. They're saying the vaccines make you magnetic. They're saying that if you're around somebody with the vaccine, that the vaccine gets inside of you. And that also we should be separating people's shit and piss from other people who are vaccinated's shit and piss. Because there might be viral shedding. Like, they even know what those words mean. Like, any... I used to believe that intelligence was all based on like training. It was all, it was, it was, none of it was like genetically predisposed. I thought that was like a fucked up, weird, elitist, like eugenicist point of view. And that it was like, if every kid had access to nutrition, if every kid had access to good education and the same opportunities, that everybody be roughly the same level of intelligence, give or take. No, that's not true. We, I want an extinction event. I have been studying how to ignite the atmosphere, and as soon as I figure it out, I will let you know by doing it. Yeah, there's. it's really funny that people, uh, you know, instead of listening to, you know, doctors and scientists and people who do have, you know, have gained a lot of intelligence about these specific things, instead they're like, oh, a dude that I went to high school with that barely passed human biology in the 10th grade is uh telling me this is all bullshit so i'm gonna listen to him i i try not to have disdain for for these kinds of people because it's not their fault generally speaking like we've talked about in the my pillow episode it's really not their fault they're kind of just fucked by circumstances and they don't really get the option but if i go to a gas station and, and you try to talk to me about, like, anything about the vaccine, and I and you have truck nuts on your car, I'm going to, I'm going to pull, go to my oh, vaccine, I'm going to, that's, no, that's, that's all, that's all getting cut, okay. How does this, how do we circle back to Strauss Group, Colin? Let's, let's, we're getting yeah. there. So, um. Why are we talking about the Yom Kippur War? Why are we talking about the Six-Day War? Why are we talking about the Arab League boycott? That doesn't seem relevant to the Strauss Group, the company founded by Zionists for Zionists in the Zionist country that gets Zionist money all the time. How would we possibly relate those things? Well, I'll tell you fucking how, assholes. Here's how we relate them. In 19-fucking-80, Dannon... The company that you'll from if keen-eared listeners will remember from episode one of the Strauss Crew, keen-eared listeners, uh, Dannon is the company that they formed a partnership with, uh, the yogurt company, um, in 1967, I believe. 19, sorry, 1969. They formed their partnership. In 1980, Dannon terminates that partnership um, because of the Arab League boycott of Israeli companies, um, which starts to hurt their profits. And here's where we start to see the, like, this and the Arab League boycott from decades earlier, these are the seeds of what we're going to talk about for a big part of the episode, the BDS movement, the modern BDS movement. Yes, Tyler. Um, is this the time when Danon came out with the apartheid-flavored Danimal? I'm not sure, but I would, if, if you guys would like some extra credit, yeah. Justin, you're going to go first. If apartheid was a flavor of yogurt, what would it taste like? It, it would taste like plain Tyler? yogurts. It would taste like plain <laughs> yogurt. plain, unpasteurized okay. yogurt. 
not Greek yogurt, so it's not no, tart. No, I mean, like, literally, like, 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 the next step after, like, it goes in the bucket, like, when you take it out of the fermenting bucket. So um, it would taste like, uh, metal chips, uh, rusty okay. nails, and human fingernails. That's great. That's good. I like it. You're being very creative. I was thinking... Much like Malort, it'd be like burned rubber, burned rubber and grapefruit. Oh. Oh. Like it's like a bitter, like it's like a chemical yeah, burn, burn, burn in your hair. mouth. So it's a, it's a low grade industrial accident, not for the taste buds. <laughs> so Dana terminates their partnership, but it only terminates their official partnership, and it really doesn't mean much. And we'll see why. Um, so Strauss Group Limited in the mid 1980s. Um, begins to acquire, quote-unquote acquire, a series of Golan uh, dairies. Now, the Golan Heights are that area we mentioned earlier that was seized from Syria, um, which, in the 1978 Camp David Accords, negotiated by then-president, uh, former uh, peanutphiliac Jimmy Carter, uh... <laughs> That they were supposed to, uh, over a trans, uh, transitionary period, over the course of, I believe it was like five years, slowly give self-governance to these regions, which they never fucking did. Uh, <laughs> Do you guys think Jimmy um, Carter jacked off to Mr. Peanut at some point? I don't think... No. 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 If there were ever... I think no. he had them make him a Mrs. Peanut. I don't... I mean, that's Mrs. Carter. But... <laughs> R release the uh, Mrs. Peanut. Hey, hey, release hey, the Mrs. you want to see my Mr. Release Peanut? Release the nut. Release the perk they, 31. They, they start buying up these dairies, right? These dairies in the Golan Heights. And it's like, okay, why does that matter? It's like, well, who was there before they were there in 1967? Like, not even fucking 20 years ago. There are probably Syrians. There are probably Palestinians there. There are probably... A bunch of Arab ethnic groups there that got forced the fuck out. And if you at home are like, I still don't understand. What, how, does this, how does this connect to the United States? What importance would the United States, uh, you know, what value would they, would they gain from this? Well, I feel like I would do you an injustice by saying it myself. So I figured I'd let current President Joe Biden say it for me. If we look at the Middle East, I think it's about time we stop those of us who support, as most of us do, Israel in this body, for apologizing for our support for Israel. There's no apology to be made. None. It is the best $3 billion investment we make. Were there not an Israel, the United States of America would have to invent an Israel to protect her interest in the region. The United States would have to go out and invent an Israel. If Israel did not exist, the United States would have to go out and invent an Israel. Okay, I, yes. You want to know what the next video that autoplay would have played? Rodney Dangerfield on Jimmy Carson. Or Johnny Carson. Oh, I think this is highly, I think this is like based on your own recommendations, because mine is... Zuckerberg versus Congress highlights. I got like a weather synopsis of the metro Detroit area from about the same time that that video was from. No, it's surprising none of us got. Oh, from 1986. It's surprising none of us got far right, uh, you know, radicalized uh, videos because that's. I constantly get them recommended because I turned off of my YouTube recommendations. Yeah. So they're constantly trying to turn me into an. There Nazi. was a study done, and uh, ten out of ten times within the first uh, ten videos of autoplay on a fresh account. Uh, was incredibly far-right uh, radicalist videos. Did you know that 60% of statistics are made up? Did you know that 60% of my anyway. dick is two inches? I did <laughs> yeah. know that. Well, you did. I'll give you all three of it later, baby. Bounce back, baby. Bounce, bounce back. back. Bounce, bounce it for me. Alright, so that's 1986. Uh, fucking Joe Biden. Joe Biden... <laughs> If you were ever... Joe Biden? <laughs> this is this is the... Okay, so, like, you could... This is a great example, a, a brief aside, uh, about our fucking failing sham of a country. 
Uh, this is a great example of how Joe Biden is, like, mentally declining. Because he said the same thing when he was running uh, for office in 2020. Um, but he said it slightly different. Instead of going on, like, a, a few minutes long speech, of which we played about, you know, 50 or so seconds... Uh, he just said, nothing will fundamentally change <laughs> because, you know, he's a gutless worm person. So in 1993, um, after a lot of um, negotiating and uh, incentive, uh, incentivization on the part of uh, the United States, um, the Oslo Accords were signed in Washington, D.C., 1993. Um, they were signed by Yitzhak. Yitzhak Rabin, um, his, uh, who was, I believe, uh, Prime Minister of Israel at the time, um, one of his um, primary political opponents, and also, um, uh, oh my god, oh my god, how do I fucking forgot his name? It's, it's uh, Yashar Arafat, I believe? Uh, yeah. Yasser, Yasser Arafat. So Yasser Arafat, um, who... I believe was in charge of uh, Egypt at the time. No. No, he wasn't. He was just Palestinian Palestinian leader. So Palestinian leader, uh, Yasser Arafat, Yitzhak Rabin, um, and his main political opponent. Now, Yitz, Yitzhak Rabin is, um, by a lot of people, kind of um, lionized or canonized. He's, con he's referred to a lot of times as the quote-unquote lion of peace. Um, because he, he would actually sit down with uh, Palestinians instead of, you know, killing them and their children and forcing them out at gunpoint from their homes. Except uh, that's how he became prime minister in the first place, is uh, he actually worked with all the military groups that were um, overseeing the Nakba and overseeing the Arab-Israeli conflicts throughout um, the 20th century. He had a guiding hand in all of that and is just as culpable as everybody else, but people remember him as a peacemaker because towards the end of his life, he gave some, like, mealy mouth promise to start treating Palestinians as people. Although, he did state, and I quote, There will never be a state of Palestine. The Palestinians can call it whatever they want, but it will never exist. So it's pretty clear where he comes down on the two-state solution that the Oslo Accords purportedly were attempting to achieve. Now, after the Oslo Accords are signed in Washington, D.C. in 1993, they're also signed um, in 1995 in Egypt. Um, in 1995, that is the same year that Yitzhak Rabin is assassinated by a far-right Zionist extremist who uh, guns him down for being too lenient with the Palestinians. Uh, and it's also the same year that Strauss Group Limited announces strategic partnerships with Unilever, Frito-Lay, and PepsiCo. God damn and, it. And uh, honestly, Uni Fritos too. Unilever. Fritos too? Yeah, Fritos, oh. Pepsi. Yeah, well, everything. I mean, uh, Frito uh, Unilever is, is actually. Pepsi, so. I don't know if they were at the yeah. time. Anyways. God damn it. Those, chi uh, those chili so. cheese uh, spiral Fritos, though. They're... I'm not a fan oh, of them. God. I don't think they're very I'll good. Slap so fucking hard. Uh, actually, I think Unilever is actually a company we're going to have to end up doing an episode on. They are kind of like the UK equivalent to Nestle in some ways. Okay. And I think it'd be interesting for us to cover them. Um, but then uh, six years later in 2001, Ofra Strauss, uh, she would succeed her father, Michael, and become CEO. She was appointed um, by Strauss Group Limited as CEO. I believe she's the first female CEO uh, for the girl company. Boss. So, uh, yeah, snaps for a girl boss. Snaps for a girl boss. Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss. Thank you. And uh, a year later, uh, <laughs> Israel would reoccupy uh, the uh, areas that it had withdrawn from under the Oslo Accords, um, under the direction of Benjamin Netanyahu. So under the Oslo Accords, they were basically supposed to withdraw slowly from areas like the West Bank, or the Golan Heights, or the Gaza Strip. And uh, they kind of did that, but they didn't meet any of the metrics that they were required to or do it as fast as they were supposed to, or as much as they were supposed to, and in 2002, they just kind of revert all of it, uh, and just show back up, uh, and break, you know, international law, again, because if one thing, if Israel does one thing, of all the things, it's violate international law at a whim, with zero repercussions. So all the goddamn time. Um, <laughs> They're pretty good at that. I think it bears mentioning at this point, 
because we we kind of yada 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 our way through the 70s and 80s uh and 90s um if let's say i don't know fucking iran had done any of the things that uh, israel had and it and it did in some in some regards and it faced severe repercussions same with iraq uh, same with, you know, uh, fucking look at, uh, you know, Operation Desert Storm and Desert Shield and all these different things. Like, we are fucking up the region and have been since the 60s, or technically since the 1830s, because that's when we, uh, Andrew Jackson, I'm not going to get involved. But <laughs> we, we've been doing this shit for a while, and we never apply the same metrics of inhumanity and criminality uh that we apply to other countries to Israel. And that is, I think one of the main parts of this, this two parter is to show that, you know, obviously the Strauss group is benefiting from these things. And it is, it is materializing much like, much like the teleporter in Star Trek. It is turning what is immaterial into material. It is the opposite of capitalism. Where, where everything just disperses and becomes ethereal. Strauss Group takes Zionism, jams it into its corporate structure, and turns it into fucking cash. Now, um, there's, a, there's a sister company to Strauss that we haven't mentioned throughout the series, um, because I wanted to focus on Strauss Group, but it's called Elite. Elite was um, the brainchild of a Russian Jewish uh, family um, also fleeing a pogrom um, that they, they were a sweet and coffee company for them. Uh, it's, it's just like a, a minor footnote, but it's, they, they, they join uh, and they become one company in 2004. And that is the same year that Strauss group limited becomes a publicly traded uh, company on the stock market. So they're finally, even though they are directly tied with an apartheid state, with a state that's violating federal, like, uh, international law, they are allowed to do these things. There's no Cuban company that gets this kind of hand wave. There's no Iranian company that's, that gets this kind of hand wave. Only Israel. Only Israel. It's almost like it's not about how they treat their people. It's just about what we get out of it. It's not about the pillows. In 2005, uh, Strauss Elite uh, would purchase uh, Sabra, um, which was a company founded in upstate New York. Uh, this is the same year that the BDS movement officially coalesces as an organized movement so sabra uh interesting enough is i believe derived from a hebrew word that refers to a cactus pear or prickly pear um and that is also a term that's used to refer to um jews born in israel because they are meant to be like hardy and resistant to the environment despite the fact that you know their their existence in that country, in that land, in that region, has been directly subsidized and provided for by every every motherfucker with money and guns on the international stage since forever. Um, so it's it's a little ironic that uh, a hothouse plant thinks it's a prickly pear, but uh, so we go. Um, so Sabra, also founded by Zionists, joins with um, Strauss. Group Limited, and uh, the BDS movement. This is where we're going to start talking about BDS. So BDS, um, which stands for Boycott, um, Divestment, and Sanctions, um, kind of coalesces in, into this group. So basically the idea is that we will not pay into any company that is affiliated with or supports the state of Israel. We will move that money to people that oppose the Zionist agenda and the Zionist movement. And we will encourage and fight for the, the world at large to impose sanctions on Israel 
until it stops the inhumane treatment of the people that live there, of Palestinians, of the non-Jewish people that live in Israel. Because that's something that it's not made clear. There's Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. And there's Palestinians in the West Bank. And there's Palestinians in East Jerusalem. But there are people who are not Jews and who do not consider themselves Jews or ethnically Jewish at all who live in Israel and because they are not Jewish and are not considered Jewish do not have the full rights of a Jewish Israeli. They aren't allowed to vote in the same elections. They aren't allowed to move about as freely. A lot of times if they ever move from their neighborhood, let alone Israel, they are never allowed to come back. So the BDS movement is similar to the Black Lives Matter movement, an organized attempt to combat a systemic problem because the, the systems and states in place refuse to acknowledge uh, or at the very least do anything about it. Now we're gonna we're gonna skip forward um, to 2010. So in 2010, <laughs> there so there had been some cost of living uh, protests. I believe in 2008, 2009, following the uh, international financial collapse, because uh, Americans are bad at gambling. Oh, very. Well, we have a whole city based on Americans being bad at gambling. We well. There's Americans are really good at actually I think it's the opposite. Americans are too good at gambling. We're so good at gambling that we convince other people uh, that we're bad at gambling, and then they bet on us being bad at gambling, and then we win and they lose. Except by we, I mean like three hundred guys who all live in Manhattan still. Yeah, in multi-million-dollar apartments. But there's yeah, but there's these protests, right? And um, a demonstrate there is a BDS demonstration in, in Philadelphia against Sabra Hummus when it's discovered on the Strauss Group Limited website this particular section and quote um, they, they start uh, uh, encouraging people to um, boycott as the BDS movement suggests Sabra Hummus and Sabra products um, Sabra being the number one hummus company in America um and only had a regional contender. It's like Basha Hummus, which is, uh, I believe, part of Steve's Mediterranean Foods uh, in Detroit. We were, they were actually the biggest in Detroit before Sabra uh, kind of made a splash. And so this is this is directly taken from the Strauss uh, Group Limited site. And I read this on a <laughs> an online uh, news outlet ref uh, titled The Jerusalem Post. So if you want to say that it's bias and they're making it up, they're literally a pro-Zionist rag. So why would they lie about this? Um, so this is this is what used to be on the Strauss Group Limited uh, website before they were take they took it down in an effort to not have people boycott their company. It was under a section titled "Corporate Responsibility." Fucking ironically enough. Our connection with soldiers goes as far back as the country, and even further. We see a mission and need to continue to provide our soldiers with support to enhance their quality of life and service condition and to sweeten their special moments. We have adopted the Galani special... <laughs> we have adopted... I'm sorry. We have, ad we have adopted the Galani Reconnaissance Platoon for over 30 years! and provide them with an ongoing variety of food products for their training on missions and provide special <laughs> provide personal care packages for each soldier that completes the path. So, literally, they're saying, "Oh yeah, the Galani Heights, the place that we illegally stole from another country uh, and refused to give back or allow uh, non like Israeli Jews to like live there and like constantly bulldoze people's homes and force them out and like tear their families apart uh and the people who do that you know the people who you constantly watch like um like arrest toddlers and shoot journalists and doctors in the face uh and drop white phosphorus on uh, innocent civilians we're gonna make sure that they got a good lunch 
We're gonna make sure that they got a sweet little treat in their little fucking lunch bag. Oh, white um, phosphorus. That shit no, is that's, uh, horrifying. It is white phosphorus, for those of you who don't know. Uh, look at what we did in the Iraq War. That's what Israel is doing right now. <laughs> um, uh, we, I decided to pick this company because... Um, Israel was starting to drop more bombs and do bombing campaigns across the Gaza Strip, and I saw a bunch of pictures of kids from refugee camps in the Gaza Strip from all around the Middle East, and I saw them with all their fucking skin burned off and their limbs blown off, and the only uh, only survivor of like two dozen people was a little baby, and you saw the baby was like half fucking burned screaming in the arms of a palestinian uh, volunteer doctor uh who's trying to get it care pulling it out of this fucking wreckage and that's what the idf does and don't worry strauss group limited is going to make their tummies or make sure their fucking tummies are full make sure that they got all their sweet little fucking treats right it's literally just like nestle selling chocolate to nazis it's the exact same thing zero difference the only difference, the only fucking nitpicky difference is who is on the receiving end of the fucking bomb. Because it's, oh yeah, you're right, it's not Jews this time. It's just people who literally don't have access to clean drinking water and statistically speaking are under the age of 15. Because most people in Gaza are 15 or younger and 92% of the water that goes into Gaza is unfit for human consumption. And that's all water that is controlled by Israel. So don't worry guys. Hamas isn't going to send one of their homemade rockets that they had to fucking cobble together in some dickheads basement. Um, so that it can get blown apart by Israel's like hyper competent iron dome system. Don't worry. They won't, they won't scare some fucking Israeli Instagram influencer with a loud bang because they're too busy um you know throwing up and dying in the streets when they're not getting uh bombed into fucking oblivion also <laughs> on this website the jerusalem post so you know how <laughs> on news outlets they have like a bunch of clickbaity like thumbnails and articles the first one <laughs> was sarah silverman <laughs> on a red carpet with like a ton of cleavage and i was like are they doing this because she's Jewish? Are they like, look at this hot Jew. She's doing so well. Like, what? I was fucking... I was so confused. Because I'm pretty sure Sarah Silverman has, like, criticized Israel in the past. But it's like, are you, are you like... Are you so racist you could only get horny for other Jews? Is that what this is about? <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was funny. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is kind of Sarah Silverman. I mean, I honestly, would... Sarah Silverman though. Yeah. All right. Well, Oof. is that? Oh no! So in 2015, Sabra almost causes a listeria outbreak because <laughs> so in Port Huron, Michigan, um, listeria was detected in, uh, Sabra hummus on the shelf in a store, and they recalled a shit ton of it, because they're like, oh, a bunch of people might get listeria. Oh, no. <laughs> just, just ship it out, I guess. It, any, by the way, anytime you see, like, one of these things where it's like, there was almost a salmonella outbreak, there was almost a listeria outbreak, it's never, like, an, a random chance accident, it's because a company was like, oh, yeah, we can afford it. Yeah. It's, it's oh, see the Pinto like, episode. Yeah, there's like a 30% chance Listeria is going to kill a bunch of pregnant uh, women and their babies. That's eh, fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll take risk that it. risk. <clears throat> Cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> uh, now further, when we talk about BDS, right? Because BDS is kind of, you know, we're, we're not going to really have a call to action necessarily for these two-parters. Because the call to action is BDS. The Palestinians have already done it for us. And who are we to fucking subvert their whims and wishes uh, and their, their pleas for fucking uh, uh, assistance to, to give you a different route? No. Look up BDS. Um, if you have a Palestinian activist or you know a Palestinian activist, 
talk to them about what they want and what they need and they will communicate that to you not to say that you just show up at your fucking palestinian friend's house and ask them how to how to behave hey what do i do in the 70s there was in the u.s congress there was a, a proposed bill that was i believe referred to the shortened title of it was the Anti-Boycott of Israel um, Amendment. Which um, <laughs> did not make it. It died in the House. But the conceit was that we were going to make it illegal for you to participate in BDS in America. That sounds like... And uh, now you're thinking... Sounds like a violation of lots of antitrust laws. It's a violation of the antitrust laws. It's a violation of the first fucking amendment yeah. that you're allowed to oh, do oh, these things. Oh, so all of these Republicans are now like, you know what? Fuck the free market. It's it's you privatize the the gains, you socialize the loss. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, um, this anti boycott of Israel amendment, this act, it never got passed. Died in the House in the seventies. Few, thank God. We, oh my God, we dodged a bullet. Jokes on you. Uh, uh, as of today, 32 different states have basically the exact same legislature in their um, state constitution. So you should shut the fuck up and not pay. Guess what? You never you weren't paying attention. You weren't paying attention. You weren't doing the homework. I did the homework. Well, that's a list. We're I did the homework. Throw in the show notes. <laughs> so much. I'm kidding. It's fine. It's don't worry about it. But um, so in 2017, we're gonna focus on one specific state. Uh, because there was actually a pretty big article that came out of it in a, in a decent news story, and I think it's very telling. So, um, in 2017, there was an anti-boycott of Israel um, piece of legislature that was passed. And in response, current and then governor of Texas, uh, Greg, I like eating human feces Abbott, um, had this to say. <laughs> As Israel's number one trading part in the United States, Texas is proud to reaffirm, reaffirm its support for the people of Israel, except for all the fucking Palestinians that live there, and we will continue to build on our historic partnership. Anti-Israel policies are anti-Texas policies, and we will not tolerate such actions against an important ally. Again, Greg I love the taste of human shit, Abbott. Um, hey, Patrick, now, what am I? Oh, stupid. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> Texas. What's the difference? Yeah, it's great. So, <laughs> uh, in 2018, um, a Palestinian mother, uh, a degreed uh, speech pathologist, and the only one in her school district that spoke Arabic, uh, Bahia Amawi, she would, after years of service to her school district, after years of constantly renewing her contract with basically little to no disagreement, would refuse to sign the contract provided to her in 2018. Because... Because of that 2017 uh, piece of legislature, any company contracted by the state government required, I shit you not, an oath of fealty and, sorry, an oath of loyalty to Israel. That you would not participate in any boycott of Israeli products. And if you did, you could be subject to termination. Hmm. Again, pretty anti-First Amendment, wouldn't oh, you say? Oh, incredibly so. That I mean, one would say that that is, like, pretty black and white uh, against the First Amendment. So, Bahia Amawi, uh, she loves Texas. She, Her family has roots there. She has kids. They have a home. She's not just going to fucking pick everything up and move, especially when you consider the idea, historically, of Palestinians being forced out of their homes. Like, hmm. the idea that she would be forced to flee all the way to Texas, only to have to flee again because she wouldn't be allowed to not uh, support the state that uh, 
caused the ethnic cleansing of her people and continues the ethnic cleansing of her people is a little fucking uh, repulsive, right? So she refuses, and she, in fact, uh, begins a lawsuit against the state of Texas, stating that this is an unconstitutional law. Great. This will get kicked up to federal court, you say. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. I did the homework. Shut the fuck up. So in 2019, her and the four other claimants on her suit, um, who were stating that this was unconstitutional and discriminatory, the state of Texas, in a way to both not do anything and also stop this lawsuit from happening, ruled that the the claimants involved would not uh, have to be, uh, would not uh, be forced to sign any contract that involved this, that the law did not apply to them, essentially, because of extenuating circumstances of them being Palestinian, uh, because they had a direct relation to the oppression of the Palestinian people. In 2020, that was overturned by the Texas legislature. Uh, the, The suit was thrown out entirely. They got zero, zip, fucking nothing. And in Texas, and I believe at least 31 other states, to this day... The state government uh, withholds the right to discriminate against uh, yourself or the company you're a part of based on your stance on on Israel's continued human rights violations and war crimes that they're committing. And and the dropping of chemical weapons on civilian populations, of uh, holding civilian populations essentially in open-air prisons, that's what the Gaza Strip is, and the continued ethnic cleansing and soft genocide. And I say soft genocide because people argue that it's not a genocide because it's not, it's not controlled or systemic enough, which I think is a really bullshit uh, barometer. But whatever, fine. They're killing lots of people because they're not Jews, and they won't stop until they're all gone because that's what Zionism and that's what capital demands from them be productive producers and to continue in the agreements they have with the powers overseas and keep an eye on all the oil and mineral wealth that we don't want to spend more money doing and that we're going to touch on further in the oil series that's slowly tearing my brain in half oh boy that's going to be a great big doozy and tyler you said you had a call to action before you wrap up here call to action Go to your local Mediterranean restaurant and get hummus from there because it's way fucking better than Sabra hummus anyway. Yes. Oh or my make God, your yes. own. You it's it, yeah, not, it, not that hard not. to make your own. But it's a, kind of a pain in the ass. All right. Well, it's and, just and go to your co- local Mediterranean Middle Eastern restaurant. Businesses. Support local businesses. Absolutely. It's kind of <sighs> and, a pain in the uh, ass and it costs more to make it yourself. Boycott Israel and all the companies that are uh, benefit from them and are involved with them. Oh yeah, uh, there's a lot more than you fucking think. Tons, and we PepsiCo, will, we will cover quite a few. But uh, until then, BDS, this has been uh, another episode of Worst in the Industry. Thanks for tuning in again. Um, bye. Bye. Love you. Kisses. Bye.